One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like, the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family and that will help us grow. Tonight, I'm joined by Jason, and Jason's had a lifetime of experiences within haunted houses. He's seen a UFO, and we think he may have had a run-in with a Yowie. So you can kind of say Jason's had the holy trinity of experiences. Jason, welcome to the show. Yeah, good day, Kate. Yeah, thanks for having me on, mate. I'm very excited, mate. Your haunted house stories, they sent chills down my spine when I was reading them. The the ones that you sent me by email, like, they're intense, mate. Do you mind kind of going back and telling us about those? Yeah, sure, mate, sure. <clears throat> um, uh, I mean, I guess probably the best way to start, mate, is to give you a bit of a background on myself. Um, so I'm the son of a former police officer. Uh, as a result, we moved around quite a bit. Um, I think in my time I've attended about 12 different schools, uh, somewhere thereabouts. Mate, uh, at present, I'm a 39-year-old man. Um, and I've completed two trades with, uh, in, in between those two trades, I've, I've actually spent a bit of time in the military. Um, so I'm a former infantry soldier. Um, and yeah, lots of things that I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty straightforward and, and down the line with, uh, no insanity, if you will. But, uh, but mate, look, I, um, yeah, we've had a few different occurrences in, in different houses that we've lived in as, as children over the years. And uh, I guess the first that I can remember, not the first that I've actually been told about, but the first that I can remember, uh, mate, was about uh, 12 to 14 years of age and uh, was living in, in Walgett, New South Wales, which is about um, eight hours west of the coast, roughly. Mate, uh, as I stated, my father was a police officer and we lived in a, in a, uh, a police house, if you will. Um, so, you know, when my father got, got stationed, 
um, they would, you know, give a house and, and that was the house that he was sort of allotted. We lived in the first house for a little period of time, um, wasn't quite happy with where we were and moved into this new house. So, uh, mate, there was initially probably not a lot going on. Um, it, it was, it was strange at times, but it was, there's not a real lot happened for, for probably the first 12 months to, to maybe a year. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, um, we started having these very strange occurrences. Um, so my father had separated. He, he was, um, a single parent and, uh, I was about 12 to 14 years of age. And, uh, my brother was a year, exactly a year younger than me. And, uh, mate, he used to do a lot of night shifts as you would as a police officer. And he was a local police officer in charge of the station at the time. Um, so what would happen was, you know, we'd come home from school, we'd have dinner, um, you know, have a shower, do your homework, all that sort of stuff that you, you would normally do. And the moment that he was out of the house, I was in charge of making sure that my brother and myself were, were you know, doing those things. We we uh, we had to have a shower. We had to be, you know, um, clean, fed, and into bed at a reasonable time with the homework done. And and that was up to me. And if it wasn't done, well, we soon knew about it. So where it got interesting, I guess, was um, made a number of times. I mean, being in charge, I was there. Um, Keeping an ear out, I suppose, waiting for Dad to get home at whatever time that may be, whether that be midnight or four in the morning or five in the morning. You know, you sort of sleep lightly and, and like to know that, you know, Dad's home, it's all good. Um, mate, during that, that period of time, as I said, there was a few strange occurrences, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary until, um, I guess the first night was, um, I was laying in bed and uh, and I was listening to my brother who used to talk a little bit in his sleep and uh, I thought, oh, well, I could hear him and I thought, oh, well, you know, he's having a bit of a yarn and whatever else. And I got up and I walked up to his room, which was beside beside my room. Um, it was only a, a matter of probably four metres. And I walked to the door of his room and... He wasn't actually awake and he wasn't actually talking. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I've heard the next door neighbours. So I went and got back in the bed and thought nothing of it. Um, the next night, we actually heard footsteps. Um, I heard them and my brother heard them. And we sort of both got up and went, well, Dad's home. But no, Dad wasn't home. So there was no one there. We heard the footsteps going up and down the hallway. And so I guess with this house, mate, like like anyone that lives in any house, anywhere, you have your normal sounds that you would hear. And, and there's sort of audible sounds that you can say, oh, that's the pantry door opening. That's, that's someone going to the bathroom or that's someone shutting that door or just sounds that you can actually pick up on and, and you know what they are. Um. So where it got really interesting was that on these nights when, when Dad would be at work, that there were sounds of the pantry door opening by itself, essentially, because there was, I hadn't done it and my brother was still in bed, and you would wake up in the morning, get up and find the pantry door open. 
and it was one of those doors that actually squeaked as it opened. So you, you couldn't mistake it. It was, it was one of those sounds that you can't mistake. So, uh, you know, a little bit, no, oh, well, that's a bit, of, bit out of the ordinary sort of thing, I guess. And then, um, yeah, we had the, the footsteps going up and down the hallway late at night. Um, on one of these occasions, we actually did have someone try to break into the house. Um, and that was, that was a physical thing that we saw. Um, my bedroom door faced the front door of the house, just the way that the house was set up. And you could see the shadow of the bloke trying to actually break into the house. Um, but these occasions where we heard footsteps up and down the hallway, um, mate, and there was nobody there. There was only my brother and myself and, you know, I would get up and find my brother sound asleep in bed snoring. Um, so he hadn't slept walked. I certainly hadn't been out of bed. And what I used to do when dad was, when dad would walk in the door, when he did come home, you would hear him walking through the, the, the back door. That's, that's, you know, to park around the back, coming through the back door and you could generally give it a yell out to say, yeah, I'm home. And, um, he would dive into bed and sort of used to wait for that. And on a number of occasions, I thought I'd heard Dad come in through the back door, walk down the hallway, check on my brother, check on myself. And I would yell out, yeah, I'm right, Dad. All right, catch you in the morning or see you tomorrow when I get home from school. And there'd be no one there. Dad had not come home from work. Dad was still at work. Oh, wow. What's going through the mind of a 12 to 14-year-old boy in that situation? Uh, Mate, I can tell you there was probably several phone calls because dad, you know, dad had a direct line to uh, to where he worked at the police station, um, and his colleagues there would, um, if if he was out on patrol or he was out attending to something, they would take the call and let pass on a message or whatever. I can tell you now, there were several phone calls that I made to that police station to to speak to my father and say there's someone in the house, and. They would send someone out, whether dad got the phone call or, or one of his uh, constables took the phone call. They would send someone straight around. Uh, they knew the situation that, you know, was, we were sort of fending for ourselves sort of thing. Um, and, mate, yeah, they, they, they would come around and, and have a look and there's no one there um, and sort of reassure me, yep, yeah, it's all right to go back to bed or, um, you know, dad would get on the phone and say, what are you doing? Get back to bed. Don't worry about it. You're having a bad dream. <laughs> Um, mate, yeah, we certainly weren't having bad rest. So that was pretty much the start of it. Um, it got worse from there. Um, and I can tell you, yeah, we were pretty well freaked out. I mean, I used to go to school and tell my mates about it and yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. But anyway, um, got laughed at a few times as well, but there was a number of guys that, that come around that wouldn't come in into the house after a period of time. They just get, nah, we're going home. Um, so when I said it got worse, it, it, um, it got to a point where things were being moved. Um, so my father was, uh, and it's, uh, well, I say, um, he was very invested in, in, uh, military lifestyle and whatnot. He was actually going to join the military before he joined the police force. And, um, as it worked out for him, he ended up joining the police force. They got, they got in touch with him and he applied to both. And the military got to him first. So he, uh, sorry, the police force got to him first and that's where he went. 
with me, it went the other way. I applied to both, got accepted by both, and the military was the first to, to accept me, so I went that way. So, anyway. Um, mate, look, um, when it got worse, it was it got to a point where, uh, as I said, things were being moved. Uh, Dad had a few replica rifles that used to hang on the wall. But, and in the house that we lived in, they were pretty high up on the walls. Like, I, I could, I would have to jump to be able to touch the bottom of the rifle. Um, and and they were, I mean, they weren't rifles that worked or anything like that. They they, they were um, innocuous as, as we call them, so you couldn't fire them. Uh, but they were just, you know, on the wall, and they were just, I guess, uh, a mantelpiece thing to look at. Um, mate, on a couple of occasions, um, my brother and I got in trouble for moving them, pulling them down off the wall and putting them on the ground. We'd never touched them. We had never touched them. So somewhere along the lines, this ghost or whatever was in the house had moved them and we were getting in trouble for it. And it seemed like the more often that we got into trouble, the, the more things that were being done. Um, and it got it, it got really intense. Um, so while it's a, a town, as I said, in, in central western Australia, uh, New South Wales, um, in summer, you're hitting 50 degrees regularly on a summer day and I mean to the point where you walk across the bitumen and the bitumen is melting and you've got tar and whatnot stuck to the bottom of your shoes or your thongs. You certainly can't walk on the road barefoot. Um, now I, I was going to high school at this, at this time and I used to, the house that we lived in was only just around the corner from the high school. So I used to walk to, to high school and at that time you could get a, a lunch pass to come home and um, have lunch. Essentially, say say from um, buying lunch at the canteen or taking a lunch. If you live close enough, you could wander home, have lunch, and come back. Mate, um, on a number of occasions, I went home in the middle of summer, and I mean, stinking hot, really hot. I mean, just very bad. And um, walking to the house, and it'll be warm inside and whatnot. We had ducted air conditioning, but never used it. Um, just because of the cost, I suppose, of the air conditioning. I mean, dad was a single parent, and yeah, so we sort of kept costs down. And uh, if you used it, and you used it for too long, you certainly knew about it. So it sort of, if you did use it, it was only sort of for maybe an hour or so, and that was enough. Mate, I don't know how many times I come home at lunchtime, and we sitting there having a sandwich or a couple of biscuits or a cold drink, put the telly on, and... Mate, the house would get so cold, so cold. I mean, to the point where you, you physically had to get up and check that the aircon wasn't on and would have to just basically get up and leave because it was just too cold in the house. Really? Yeah. And yep. this, um, was this, this I guess, presence turning the air conditioning on or was it actually just cooling down? No, well... Well, I sort of, I got to that point where I thought, oh, maybe I am not alone here. I'll, I'll just double check that either A, I haven't turned it on and forgotten about it, or B, someone else has turned it on. Or, yeah, just, you, you go and check. And, um, mate, yes, it was never, ever turned on. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, look, it was, it was it, we get that cold inside the house, you could see your own breath. You're kidding. Nope. I'm not kidding. 
Um, Did you hightail it out of there? Yes, mate, every time. Every time. <laughs> yeah, my, my lunch breaks were cut out in half a number of times. To the point, in actual fact, where I said to my father, I'm not coming home for lunch anymore. I'm going to have lunch at school. I'll take my own lunch and or, and or buy lunch at school. That sounds absolutely so, terrifying because yeah. that's going to be there when you get back home later on after school. You have to go home yeah, eventually. Mate, exactly. It, it never stopped. It never stopped. I mean, it, it, it was like that when, when I was there uh, or my brother was there, but it never seemed to be happening. None of this ever happened really around when Dad was there. Um, so it was very strange in that, in that sense. Now, we had a, uh, a Blue Heeler cattle dog. Um, and he was a very, very good guard dog. I mean, Dad took him to, to the uh, police station when he was only a pup, and they spent weeks with him training him up to be a guard dog. Um, now, he was brilliant. He was on command, would do anything he would ask. Um, if you said, right, hey, time to go, get under there, get on your bed, you wouldn't see him. Dad would walk out of the house on a night shift and say, right, hey, your shift, and that dog would walk that yard the entire night would not stop. He would just be on patrol. Now, on these occasions when I was coming home for lunch, I tried to get the dog to come inside with me. Now, he was trained not to ever come inside, but I thought, well, if I need him to come inside, I'm not going to be alone, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely um, does. So I, I, I tried to get the dog to come inside. His name was Bruiser. And, uh, oh, Bruiser, I picked him up forcefully picked him up because he would not come inside that house ever. And I thought maybe this is training, you know. He was trained not to do that. Now I picked him up physically and carried him inside the house. And the moment I got him about three to four steps inside the house, he wanted out. Absolutely had to get out. <clears throat> now, when I put him down on this occasion, I had the door, I shut the door behind me as I carried him in and put him down and he would not come any further. He wouldn't. So the, the, when you're coming through the back door, you're coming through a sunroom, and that, that opens up into the kitchen, dining room, um, which is pretty pretty large, actually, for a house. It was one of the largest dining rooms I've ever seen. But anyway, he would not come in through that area, just would not. And on this occasion, the, the, this one occasion when I put him down there, he kept looking over my shoulder, like past me, and growling. And I kept looking over my shoulder thinking, well, there's someone behind me, but there was nobody there. There was nothing to be seen. Um, but certainly felt uncomfortable. And so I let the dog out and he ran outside. And he ran out to the middle of the backyard, sat there and just barked uncontrollably at the house. At which point I uh, <laughs> pretty much grabbed my gear and I was off. I was gone. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was pretty unnerving, I guess. But, um, mate, I just say, like, there's, there's so many things that uh, that happen there that just really couldn't, I really couldn't put a, a I, I can't explain just the, the amount of things. I mean, as I said, you hear sounds that you know someone is walking up and down your hallway. We had nights where there was, it sounded like someone was running up and down the hallway. Um, yeah. It, so, it honestly sounds terrifying and to to be so young and to basically have to kind of look after yourself through that whole thing on your own well not not just looking after yourself but looking after the other members of your family during that time that would have been a really big ask of someone that young and 
to yeah. to really step up to face whatever this unknown is. That's that's pretty incredible. Mate, I'll tell you, it was um it was it was very unnerving. And I mean my younger brother, um, on a number of occasions would yell out from his from his bedroom and say, Are, are you just outside my bedroom door? And no, mate, I'm in bed. Well someone's standing outside my bedroom door. Oh, that's really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, you know, uh, mate, we had a number of occasions like that. And I mean, probably in all honesty, mate, that whilst those, those things were weird and they were terrifying, the, the biggest scare I really got was the night when, when that bloke tried to break into the house and I could see him outside the front door and he was really reefing on that door trying to get inside. He made the mistake of trying to go around the back, which is where the blue healer cattle dog was. Um, I can tell you, mate, you've never heard songs go so fast. There's probably smoke coming off them as he was going out the back door. So. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good dog. You want that type of stuff and that's going on. So yeah. did your dad ever have any encounters with this, um, I guess let's call it a spirit, with with the spirit inside this house? Uh, well, no. He, 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 well, sort of, kind of. Um, Mate, we tried to, my brother and I had spoken today and said, look, you know, there's something not right here. There's, you know, something happening. Um, so I, get, I, I should go back a little bit because on one occasion, Dad got out of bed. Um, now, he'd been in bed all night. He was tired. He was exhausted. He'd never heard anything through the night. But in the morning, we sort of got the, the beckoning call, come here to the kitchen. I want to see you two boys. Um, there was a cookie jar. On the, on the kitchen bench, you know, full of biscuits and whatnot. You two blokes didn't eat your dinner, but you sat here and you've eaten these biscuits. Mm, oh, I didn't do it. And my brother looks at me and says, well, I didn't do it. Had to be you. I, I definitely didn't do it. I said, well, I definitely do. It had to be you. So neither of us had done it, but here these biscuits were that had come out of the cookie jar, the jar off the lid. And they weren't eaten, but they were broken up, if that makes any sense. They went, they went crumbled up into a pile of mess. It was just, they were just sort of broken and sitting there. Um, with the pantry door being wide open, which is one of those sounds that we used to hear when there was nobody there. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, we sort of explained, oh, that wasn't enough. <clears throat> on one occasion, we come home from school one day and dad had been there on a couple of days off or whatever. And, we walked in the door and he pretty much just sat us down straight away and said, right, I know you blokes aren't lying. We're not going to talk about it anymore. It's all said and done. We're going to, we're going to leave. We're going to go. Oh, wow. Really? So, yeah. Did you dad- now, my father was, um, sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask you, did your dad have something happen to him? Um, well, I don't know exactly. He never really elaborated. Um, that has had things happen over his years that he, he can't explain but on this occasion in this house he didn't actually go into it I think whatever it was that happened that, that he soon realised that hang on this is, this is going on and it's not my boys they're not here they're at school um, and this has just happened in front of me whatever it was it's it, it certainly frightened him enough to say alright I, I owe you an apology and um it's time that uh, we look to to move into a different house. And at that point, Dad's actually put in for um, uh, his retirement from the police force. And 
from there, we, we left there and we moved up to Queensland. Um, but yeah, he, he certainly made, he certainly had something happen that was enough. And my, my father was one of those folks that didn't believe, well, if you spoke to him about the paranormal, I can't repeat it on air, but the response you would get was, would be more than typical of a, of a fair dinkum Aussie bloke that would, Give you a berating. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine. He sounds like he's a he's a pretty straight talking, right down the line type of guy. And um, I think I think we all know what he he would probably say in that situation. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, mate. It wasn't long after that. Yeah, he, he. Well, I mean, that that wasn't the cause of him putting. He'd had enough. He'd been nearly thirty years in the police force, and it was time to retire. So um, that's the way he saw things. I mean, and obviously. Uh, being a single parent, two kids at home, um, was getting pretty rough for him to be able to deal with it all. So it was time to retire, take his pension and, and, and move on to something different, another step in the life. So we left there and, uh, as I said, we moved up to, uh, Queensland. Um, and that's, that's where, um, that's where I had my, I guess, UFO sighting. Do you want to go into that a little bit for us? Because I'm um, I'm really interested. Because you move you move away from a haunted house, and the next thing you're uh, you're having a UFO encounter, Matt. You're all, you're a beacon for these things. <laughs> <laughs> don't know about beacon. Maybe just uh, right place at the right time, or wrong place at the wrong time. I don't know. But um, but mate, yeah. Look, um, so it was only probably a couple of years later, and um, I, we'd been living in in this uh, in this town on on the. Um, uh, well, it's not the Sunshine Coast, it's a bit further up the Sunshine Coast, so up, up, uh, a place called Tin Can Bay. And, uh, mate, uh, I was, it must have been a Friday or Saturday night because I, I was, I'd arranged to have a sleepover at, uh, at a mate's place and, uh, he was an avid St. George Dragons fan and, and wanted to watch the Dragons play. Um, and and I'd teed up that well, I'll take you out and and show you how to fish. He'd never been fishing before. He'd come from Sydney. He, he didn't know. Yeah, he lived the city life. He didn't know anything about fishing, camping, or anything like that. And I said, look, I'll take you out. We'll go and do that. Um, and I'll I'll teach you how to fish. And um, yeah, we'll sort of have a bit of a night of it, and then we'll get back in time to have a shower, get cleaned up, sit down and watch the football. Um. Again, we were still only teenagers, but, um, yeah. So, <clears throat> mate, um, we went down, we, we did exactly that. We went down to the local jetty and, and we went fishing and we may or may not, I can't remember if we caught any fish or not, but we were there. We had a good time. I remember that. And, um, so we, we got there just on, no, oh, I wouldn't say dusk, but it was a little bit before, a little bit before the sun going down. And whilst we were fishing, there was an older gentleman to our left. He was fishing by himself, and um, there was a, a gentleman sort of a bit further up on our right, and um, he was fishing by himself. Now, we were sitting there for this time, and... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
And um, I used to say to, to say to my friend, you've got to be quiet, mate. You can't walk around on the wharf and make too much noise or you'll scare the fish away. You know, they're pretty much right under us. Um, you want to catch a good one, that's, that's where they are. You don't need to cast out in the middle of the river. Anyway, so we're sitting there, we're sort of being quiet. But all of a sudden there was this horrendous noise that we could hear coming up from, I guess, uh, the way it was fishing, probably from the south, I guess, probably southwest, um, which was sort of the creek that ran down all the way through there. Yeah, it ran for kilometres, but if you follow that creek down far enough, you get to um, one of the army bases down there. And uh, I say one of the, it was, it's the army base, but they have a training area down that way. And um, whenever you're boating up that way, you had to sort of keep clear of a certain area. Anyway, so to our left is, is that area. And, and, you know, we're talking a couple of kilometres down. But we could hear this noise coming from that direction. And uh, didn't really know what it was, but it got louder and louder and louder. And, uh, mate, I, I don't know exactly what it was. I, uh, even with my military experience and looking back on it as an adult now, mate, I don't know what it was, but if I can put it into context, it, it was like a rocket. It, it was a rocket of some description um, being fired, and it, it had been fired and was heading out to sea. Um, from that from that position where we were, you could see Fraser Island, and it was heading out over the top of Fraser Island. Um, now, we lost sight of it, and it came right up the river, right past in front of all of us that were there. So it wasn't just my mate and I. There was, as I said, a gentleman to our left, a gentleman to our right. There may have been others there, if I, I'm just not 100% certain, but there was more than just my mate and I, and we all saw it. And the old gentleman to our left turned and looked at us, he said, well, there's something you don't see every day. <laughs> and yet, sure as hell, you, you don't see that sort of thing every day. Wow. And did it change direction at all, or did it just stay on a on a straight um, a straight path? Uh, mate, from memory, I think it was just a straight path. It, it didn't look like it was like, – I mean, it wasn't a guided missile or, or anything like that. It was just a, a small rocket um, and it was just being fired out. And, and it just – I mean, you could hear it coming, and you could when – it, when it got come past, I mean, the – massive bright orange flame coming out the back of it. You couldn't actually see the projectile, but you could see the flame and, and you could hear the sound as it come flying past. That's really interesting. Yeah, and, and it was. Um, but, that I mean, that's not obviously the UFO, but a few hours later, when we, we got to dark, or just a bit after dark, and we had to get back to t- in time to watch the football, so we're heading back. Um, yeah, we packed up our gear. Left and we're talking about what we just saw and what was that, and there'll be something in the paper about it tomorrow that we can read. Or, I mean, obviously, in, in these days, my internet wasn't around and, and no one carried mobiles that they weren't around, it didn't exist. Um, so you know, you'd have to check out the paper or what was you know, what was being said around town later on. Anyway, uh, we're heading back and we're talking about it, and we were probably about oh, 300 meters, I guess. To 400 meters, I guess, from my mate's place, and I remember it was, it was it was getting a little bit cool at that point in time. And I was saying to myself, "Like we both had push bikes, and we were carrying our, our, our gear and pushing the push bikes. We weren't actually riding; we were just pushing and talking." And um, anyway, I said I said to my mate, "I said, um, what do you think about UFOs? Have you ever seen a UFO?" And he said, "Nah, nah." 
Yeah, no, me either. So we thought we did one once upon a time, but turned out just to be the the reflection or searchlight from a football stadium bouncing off the clouds. And and um, yeah, we thought we'd actually seen UFOs, but that's that's exactly what it was. It was just searchlights bouncing off the off the clouds. Anyway, um, you wouldn't believe it, mate. It would have only been about a minute or two later. We both stopped dead in our tracks, and we're both because we're both at this time while we're talking about UFOs, we're looking at the sky. Now it was a really clear, bright sky. The stars were out. There was no clouds. There was nothing. Um, and we seen this, what looked like a star. And that's the only way I can, I can describe it. It was way off in the distance. Well off in the distance. I mean, from where we were in, in that northern part of Queensland, from my mind, mate, it would have been over the top of Brisbane. It was that far away. Um, so and we're looking at this star, but it was moving around in really erratic, fast, and unpredictable movement. Um, I wouldn't say triangles, but close to moving in a triangular shape. So you, you would see it, and it would dart to a spot, then stop, and it would dart to another spot, and then stop, and then dart back across to another spot and stop, almost. Uh, I would say almost like a figure four is probably the best way to put it. You know, the old school style four, if you write the, the number. <sighs> so that's sort of the way it was moving. And and I looked at him and I said, are you seeing this? And he said, yeah. He said, let's just watch it for a bit. So we stopped and we watched it for a little while. And all of a sudden, it was like it was coming towards us in our direction. I mean, it was still a long, long, long way away, but it, it was like it, it had stayed on the same elevation but was coming directly towards us, heading in a north direction. And um, at which point we sort of went, holy dooly, what's going on? We, we might want to sort of get going now. Um, but neither of us could move. We were just fascinated by it. And uh, maybe a little bit, uh, there may have been a bit of fear there too. <clears throat> However, it stopped and then it went back to where it was, where we had originally seen it. Now, this is where it got really interesting. This, this is the thing that I won't ever forget. From there, this star, if you will, shot straight up. And, I mean, it would have, like, a, oh, I don't know, it would have been kilometres. But from where we were, it, it looked, you know, it, it moved probably about a metre from our elevation looking at it. it. It didn't look like a lot. But from where, if you were directly under it, it would have gone really high. So, as I said, you got to remember, we were looking from a long way away, and it looked like it was well off, as I said, just a star. But when it went right up, it dropped back down slowly, very slowly, back to about the middle of the elevation that it was started at, to where it went up, dropped back to about halfway, and then this massive light shot out from it. Um, so, I don't know if you... If you <laughs> like, um, have you ever turned the television off? Um, the old school TVs used to, used to turn them off and a, a line would, would shoot across horizontally across the TV and you'd just be left with a little white dot that would fade out. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yep, mate, that's exactly what it done. A horizontal line either side of it that was would have been kilometres long either side of it and then faded out, just to nothing. It wasn't there anymore. Gone. See you later. At which point we both jumped on our bikes and we... Bolted home as fast as we could get there. <laughs> I do not blame you. That's uh, that's absolutely incredible, mate. That is um, 
that's that's quite an intense encounter because I mean, not only do you see something weird that's military based with this this huge potential rocket that's shooting off into the distance, whoever knows what that may be, or might be some testing or something that they were doing. Yeah. But then but then to joke about that you was that a UFO or, or something like that, or talking about UFOs and then to see one in such an incredible encounter is um that's something really special there, Jason. Yeah, mate. Look, as I said, look, uh, wrong place, wrong time. Um, lucky, however you want to word it. I don't know. Just it just happened. Um, like I can't explain it, and I've never seen another one since. But that, as I said, I'll, I probably would never have remembered it or thought about it. But for what it did, right at the end, before it disappeared, mate, it was. I mean, we went. We got on a school bus um, the following Monday. And both of us were just raving about it to everybody. And everyone said, nah, I never saw nothing, you know. But we saw it and, you know, we got laughed at. And, you know, in the end, you stopped talking about it. But, um, mate, we, we'd seen it. And what we saw, as I said, it was what it done at the end. That that light that shot out from either side of it, mate, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll never forget it. Yeah, we'll that, never forget it. It's it's incredible. And you've had some absolutely amazing encounters there, Jason. Um, I just kind yeah. of I want to touch on the, the haunted house that you, you originally lived in there. What did you yep. think that was? Do you do you think that was something evil? Do you think that was just maybe a ghost or a spirit having a little bit of fun? How did you feel about that whole situation? Mate, um I know I know Back then, I was terrified of it. I was terrified of it. Um, looking back as an adult now, it never done anything to us. It never, it never hurt my brother or I. It never. It, what it seemed to be doing, though, it seemed to be coaxed on. As I was getting at there before, it, was, it seemed to be coaxed on by us getting in, into trouble with our father. So the more we got yelled at, the more that used to happen. So whether it was mischievous or, or, or um, maybe it was, it was setting those sort of scenarios up, so creating negative energy, uh, negative energy, sorry, and and building off that, I, I don't know. But the longer it went on, the, 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 yeah, the more instances that happened, the worse it seemed to get. So whether, as I said, whether it was building off that, I don't know. But we um, thankfully we moved out and actually. Um, my best friend at that time, his father was um, a police officer as well, and they actually took over the house that that we um, that we lived in at that point in time. And I said to him, I said, I used to tell him about it all the time. I said, keep an eye out for it. And um, I remember talking to him, you know, months later, and they never had a problem. Really, they never had a thing. Yeah. How interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I don't know, mate. I, as I said, I can't explain it. Um, however. Both my brother and I, to this day, know that there was something there, and my father was more than happy to leave in the end. So, whether it was evil, whether it was negative, I, yeah, I certainly believe it was negative because it was um, always getting worse. The longer we were there, the worse it would get. Yeah, yeah. And they were getting more, more, uh, more intense and more obvious. It was. Started off small and got worse and worse as these things went on. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it was it was feeding off some kind of energy that was that was I guess in that house. So, just before we uh, we wrap up tonight, there, Jason, do you mind going into that yep. that really quick uh, potential Yowie encounter that you had? Yeah, most certainly, mate. Most certainly. Um, and look, it is only really quick. 
Um, mate, look, at the end of the day, um, <laughs> I really don't know what it was, but um, my, my recollection of this is not as, as good as what my brother's is. And um, anyway, so we were, oh, I guess, oh, close to 18 years of age. I may have even been 18. Um, so some good friends of ours that lived out the road from where we were living in this small town, small rural town, um, country town, um, where we, where we grew up sort of thing. Um, over the years, we spent a lot of time at my grandmother's place in this town and, and, um, we, you know, when dad couldn't have us, we spent a lot of time there. So we got used to, to walking the creeks and going fishing and, and whatnot. Um, and we met some, some friends of, of theirs who had a couple of kids similar to our age, not quite our age, but similar. Um, and anyway, they used to invite us out to go camping all the time and they had a big farm. Now on this farm, uh, if you were driving down the road to go to their place, you would turn right off the road into their driveway and up to the house, probably about 100 metres, 150 metres up to the house, up, up a dirt track. And if you look directly left from their driveway, if, instead of turning right, if you just pulled up there and looked to your left, about 300 down your left, was a, a creek bank. They owned all the land quite dense that that creek. Um, so we used to go camping down there quite a bit. And there was, it was a good swimming hole. The water was nice and deep. It was clean. There was fresh running water that would channel into there. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> but yeah, you, you would actually yeah be able to camp on, on their land. You know, no no problems whatsoever. And um, and it was great. I mean, you might have the odd chow come around and whatnot come and check you out, see what's going on and whatever, but um, generally wouldn't, you know, pay too much attention. Anyway, so on this one occasion, we, we decided we'd go out and uh, we'd camp there. So there's my brother, myself, and my mate and his younger brother. And we're all similar ages, um, and we're still good friends today and, and, and uh, catch up when we can. Um, however, we're down there this one night, and now look, as I said, I don't recall this clearly as clearly as what my brother does but what I do recall is that we were down there and uh, now I may or may not have brought a six pack out of beer to have a couple <laughs> of beers with the boys um, but it would have only been a six pack I mean we never ever took anything more than that when we went camping because you've got to be careful um, but you know obviously you're not going to hurt yourself or do anything silly and, and whatever so and we're only sort of young and it was sort of a done thing, you know. I mean, you know, young blokes out in the bush. Yeah, right, I have a couple of beers, but I only have a couple. Make sure you get a good feed in there and, and go to bed and we'll see you in the morning for brekkie. That's kind of how it rolled. Anyway, so we're, we're down there on this creek bank this night. And, um, yeah, as I said, uh, we may have had a couple of beers each. Um, and anyway, I, 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 what I recall is that we got into the tent. We set the tent up earlier in the day, the day when it was still daylight. And we had the fire going and whatnot, and we'd climbed into the tent, and we were sitting there, and we were just talking about, um, you know, where we'd like to go fishing next, or where's the next spot that we can go and try and ch- check out, or how far north of this creek can we go and follow it around before you just sort of, you know, end up getting lost. Um, anyway, uh, we're, we're sort of talking about all that sort of stuff, and then one of the boys, whether it was my brother or one of the other three boys, said, can you hear that? You know, you can't not hear what. I can hear the running water of the creek that's bubbling into it. So this creek had, had, had a creek that bubbled into it, and, and that running water sound was always there. But if you walk through that water, 
there was a that sound again. It's unmistakable of someone walking through the water. Um, it was only sort of it wouldn't have even been, oh, mate, wouldn't have, not even close to knee deep. But when you walk through the water that's gushing like that, you know that makes that sound that someone's actually going through there. Now, like I said, there was cows there, and um, we heard this noise, and it sounded like. Well, once I listened and, and the boys had sort of picked up on this, there was something walking through the water, was, is that a cow? But it sounded pretty erratic, and that's why they picked up on it. When it said, is that a cow that's stuck down there? Are we going to have to go down there and, you know, try and see if this cow's stuck, or do we need to go up to the, the farmhouse, get the tractor, and try and drag it out? <laughs> anyway, um, so we sort of all climbed out of the tent, so we better go and have a look and just make sure, and if we have to go and get the tractor, then, you know, it's going to make for an eventful night and probably a lot of hours of, of lost sleep, depending on how we get there and how it's all going to be done, if it has to be a rescue. So, now, I don't recall the next bit, but my brother, when I spoke to him uh, just recently, talking about getting on your show, um, he reminded me of, of a lot of the facts that happened this night. Um, and he, he remembers seeing eye shine. Now, I don't, I don't recall that, but he remembers seeing eye shine down there and he thought, that there was something down there. Whether it was, you know, there was very rarely you would ever see a kangaroo there because they just weren't around. Maybe the odd wallaby, but, yeah, again, not very often. <clears throat> so whilst we were all standing on, and this is what I do remember, is that the four of us are standing on, on the edge of the bank looking down to this, this swimming hole that we used to swim in, and there was like a growl. There was There was something that, whether you call it a growl or a grunt, but it was it was a very menacing noise to come back as if to say, "Mate, get out of here! Don't want you here." Um, and we sort of all went, took a step back, and went, "What was that? What is it?" And we were all trying to see. We couldn't see. It was pitch black dark, and we didn't have torches. We had the fire beside us, but we didn't have torches. Um, and, and we had nothing to, to shine on it to try and see what it was. But this sound come back. So, again, <laughs> pretty much not long after that, the four of us have gone, well, we'll just get back into bed. It's probably a cow that's unhappy. And, and um, we, we sent the youngest fella, <laughs> while we did that, I don't know, but we sent the youngest fella up to the house and just let him know there may be a cow stuck in the creek. He's come back. I mean, he's been gone for about 15 minutes to come back and, uh, yeah, what's going on, mate? Yeah, no, 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 just, it's all good, mate. Just Dad said, don't worry about it, you'll sort it out in the morning. Right, I feel easy. So we're sitting there and we go back to sleep. Well, I did anyway. That's what I recall. I went back to sleep. I got woken up maybe an hour or two to three later. And it's my brother. And he's saying, mate, this thing that's down in that creek, he's not happy. He's not happy. We need to leave. And I'm still sort of trying to to wake up and understand what's going on. And and, uh, he said, mate, come on. What do we do? What do we do? And I said, oh, Christ, I don't know. And this thing, whatever it was, or, or whoever it was, I don't know, but was making sounds that was so, I don't know, mate. It, it, it really made the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I mean, it was, it was terrifying. Did you feel in and, danger down there? Yes. Yeah. So we left. We, I mean, I said to the boys, I said, right, I'm the fastest of all of you. I said, you both run and run to the farmhouse. I'll stay back and just for a couple of seconds just to see if it's going to take off after us. If it's going to chase or whatever it is, if it's coming towards us or whoever it is is coming towards us, I want to be at least here. I'm the, I'm the oldest, the strongest, the fastest. 
I'll do the best I can. You both run and go. And they bolted. So um, I left not long after him. I think I caught him after about 100 metres. And, uh, mate, we got to the house and, and um, our friend's mother and father, was, what's going on? There's someone down there and whatever they're doing is, is they, don't, they don't want us there. Whether it's a neighbour's playing a prank on us or, you know, I, we don't know. But whatever it is, is, is the sound of this making is absolutely terrifying. And uh, so we left, I mean, with the fire going the whole lot, we'd, we'd left and they were up us and said, look, you, you better get back down there and, and get that fire out. So I, I, re- I vaguely recall going back and putting the fire out and there was nothing at that point in time. But done the bolt back as fast as I could as well. And um, mate, we went back in the, the next morning just to go and check out what was going on. You go and see if we could find, you know, a cow in the creek or whatever it might have been, a, a kangaroo that was cranky that was stuck or something. We, you know, we just didn't know. <clears throat> and we get down there and there's nothing there. But what we noticed on the way down is that the entire campsite had been destroyed. Oh, really? I mean, the tent, the tent had been ripped. The sleeping bags had been pulled out of the tent and destroyed. Um, the, the the fireplace was all kicked around, and there was just mess everywhere. Uh, we're, we're talking, you know, a couple of hours worth of picking. Like, there was stuffing out of the sleeping bags. There was the tent was just torn into shreds, and and you you had to pick up pieces of it. Um. So, yeah, we spent, you know, a couple of hours trying to clean up because, I mean, it's got next to a water source as well. So, you know, you don't want any of that getting in the water. So, there's just pieces of everything everywhere. Um, mate, so, we, we spent a fair bit of time picking up, cleaning up, and, um, mate, yeah, whatever it was was down there. It didn't want to say Now, as I said, it could have just been, I don't know, it could have been a hippie that was saying, get away from me. I want you to keep away and protect the platypus or I don't know. But whatever it was, mate, um, for my mind, I don't think it was that. Whatever the sound that came out, mate, was a, a deep guttural, wouldn't say raw, but it was just, I don't know. You, you see the werewolf movies and you hear the, 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 the growls of a werewolf when it's stalking in the movies and whatnot. That's kind of what it sounded like. So that's why we thought that this is an animal. Well, it, we didn't think it was human. Yeah. It- whether it was or not, don't know. It sounds like you got off lightly, whatever the case was there, because for it to for it to try to scare you off and then to go through with um and and kind of destroy the campsite, it's uh it's it's kind of scary to think of what may have happened if you if you didn't leave. Yeah, and you got to remember, in the time that we left, when we we all sort of I sent the boys off, they all ran, and then I caught up to them and got them, and yeah, you know, we got all back up to the the farmhouse and we and you know, got set up for bed there and told their parents what was going on, well, I'd actually gone back to go and put the fire out. So I'd gone on my own and, and put put the fire out and then, yeah, come back. And as I said, when I got down there, there was nothing. There was no sound or anything. I mean, I was petrified. I didn't want to be on my own, but you couldn't leave a fire going on, on the side of the scrub. So it had to be put out. I mean, it had to be done. So I've gone down there and made sure it was out. And, um, mate, come back. There was nothing in that time comes back the next morning and that's what you, you sort of, you, on approach, you could see someone was there and, and done this. I mean, now look, that wasn't the only thing. We'd camped there a number of times before, but the first time we'd ever gone there, I, we got down there, we set up the tent, come back and I said, I hope the neighbours don't go there and, and muck around with us or anything and do anything silly to us. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? I said, oh, well, you know, just 
about when I'm going down there trying to scare us or whatever. Um, and and that night we we'd actually come home like so instead of cooking around the campfire, we come home that night and had something to eat. Then gone back to the tent, and when we got back to the tent, all the ropes had been cut. The tent wasn't torn. There was no there was no damage to the tent other than the fact that all the stay ropes that you know to hold the poles up and all that they'd all been cut. So we approached the, the next door neighbours because it looked to us like they'd been cut by a knife. We approached the neighbours and um, they were offended the fact that we thought that they'd actually done something like that. I mean, it's, you know, damaging someone's property. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the first thing. And then I guess on that, that second occasion when this, I guess, you know, whether it was yelling or not, I don't know, but, mate, um, on the second occasion, you know, the first thing that came to mind was, well, we to check with the neighbours again and, they knew nothing about it and been nowhere near it. So um, the, the family on, on the next closest neighbours to us outside of those guys was family of these guys that were family. So family wouldn't destroy things like that just for the sake of it. No, not um, no, not at all. So, yeah, it, it definitely yeah. sounds like something weird was, was kind of going on around that, that campsite. And... Like I said earlier, I, I think it's pretty lucky that you got out of there when you you did, and unfortunately, you got the short straw and had to go back and put the fire out. And it's it's lucky nothing happened to you while you're on your own. Well, that's right. I mean, um, I guess there was a potential for it. So, I mean, uh, you know, looking back as an adult now, whether or not there was just someone down there that just wanted to, to disturb us, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't honestly say that because. The sounds that were coming out of that creek and the noises that were being made, mate, um, I've never heard that before. Yeah. So, yeah. And never again. I've never heard it again. As I said, I spent uh, four years as an infantry soldier. Mate, I've been into places that um, no one really would ever just want to go. And, uh, mate, I've never, ever seen or heard anything like this ever before in my life. So it was a one-off. And again, as I said, um, Wrong place, wrong time, or <laughs> what was it? I don't know. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe. And you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.